Yeah. We got a lot of kids today. That's lots of fun. Today I have some super special guests. My family is here. Would you guys just wave? Yeah. So welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. Um, Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we thank you for this time to be here together. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word. I ask that you would speak, that we would hear you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Speaking before thinking. Leaping off the block before the gun is fired. Flinching prior to the snap. Making commitment for which you're not ready. In sports and in life, false starts have consequences. In football, that 15-yard penalty can be the difference between a win and a loss. In track, a false start means a return to the blocks, frustration for everyone, and a possible disqualification. In relationships, a false start can mean embarrassment and even a breakup or a broken relationship. On our trip to Seattle last weekend for my mentor's wedding, Hezzy and I experienced some interesting false starts. I told Hezzy as we walked toward the Seattle Ferry Terminal, if we walk a little bit faster, we can make the 11.50 a.m. ferry and then have time to settle into our hotel and relax a little bit before the wedding. So we walked faster and we made it. The ferry took off, and we stood on the deck outside, taking in the beautiful Seattle skyline and smelling that ocean salt smell, and we took way too many pictures. And then after a while, we discussed the direction of our destination and tried to determine the boat's path. Then Hesse became suspicious. He said, we're going in circles. And I said, no, why would we do that? Then Hezzy ran around the boat, trying to figure out what was going on. He asked a few people and ended up alarming many other people to the sudden reality that we had not made any progress toward our destination. Within a few minutes, an announcement came on the speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the inconvenience. We will be returning to Seattle. Then we started to say to one another, did we fly all the way to Washington just to miss the wedding? (laughs) The ferry workers then had to unload all of the packed cars in reverse, which as a driver, that's my worst nightmare is to have to go in reverse a long distance around a corner like that. So due to an engine failure, we were boarded onto a different boat. So much for walking a little faster to catch the earlier ferry. A trip that should have taken one hour ended up taking a little over three. When we disembarked and made it to our hotel, we only had 30 minutes to get ready for the wedding. (laughs) Apparently, our first ferry took off before it was actually ready. It needed maintenance prior to setting sail. And that false start kept us humble, made us pray and depend on God's grace and reminded us that we were not in control. The disciples of Jesus also struggled through false starts as they gave their earnest to follow him. A portrait of a beloved biblical person will teach us today that God gives grace for false starts. 
that brokenness leads to repentance, and that repentance brings restoration. Peter, an enthusiastic, loving, and outspoken follower of Jesus, experienced a few false starts in order to learn that he had no sufficient strength in himself, but only from the spirit of Jesus in him. So today we're going a little bit old school. I'm going to ask you if you have an actual Bible to follow along with me. And if you don't, you can use your phone. We're going to look at the story and some of the experiences of Peter. So we'll begin in Mark chapter 8, verse 32. Peter criticized Jesus for speaking of his own coming, suffering, and death. Peter thought that he was doing the right thing. Shouldn't we only allow wholesome and uplifting talk? Jesus, don't talk like that. You're not going to suffer and die. Peter thought surely such a good man and the saving Messiah would not have to endure pain and suffering. But Jesus' response reveals that Peter's rebuke was a false start. The famous and chilling words that come from Jesus to Peter in Mark chapter 8, verse 33 Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Peter has demonstrated the wrong attitude, a puffed-up belief of a pristine Messiah who would save his people without humiliation or suffering. All right, Peter, back to the blocks. The compassionate Christ knew the impending trial nearing Peter, And as Jesus nears the cross, the concept that Peter previously had struggled to accept, Jesus graciously informs Peter ahead of time this time that Peter himself will deny Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 14. Jesus tells him in verse 30, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I've always heard this part about the rooster and didn't know if that was symbolic of something or what was really the significance of the rooster. And so I think what I've come to understand is that this is another instance in which Jesus is showing grace. How does Jesus show grace for false starts through a rooster? (laughs) Well, it's because when Jesus tells Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, Jesus gives Peter the exact time frame in which the denials will happen. In the mindset of the night during this time, there were four watches of the night. So the third watch of the night was from midnight to 3 a.m. This watch of the night, the third watch, was called the cock's crow. During this time slot, the crow typically would let out its first cock-a-doodle-doo around midnight, and then a second one towards the end of that time, about 3 a.m. So Jesus is not just talking about roosters here. He's telling Peter, within this specific time frame, you will deny me three times. Man, if that's not grace, I don't know what it is. 
Because he's telling Peter, this is an opportunity for you to be on watch, to be on your guard. Because I'm telling you, not just like in your whole life, not like this month something hard is going to come, not like this week is going to be really tough, but like, hey, Peter, like these three hours, like press in, focus, stay connected to me, be in prayer. I think that that is so gracious of Jesus to give Peter the exact time frame of which he would be tempted. But overzealous or overconfident in his inability to stand up under suffering, Peter believes that he has strength to suffer with Christ. Making a commitment without considering the cost, another false start, Peter blurts out in Mark 14, 31. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I give Peter credit because I don't think he based his claim off of a willpower self-assessment. His pledge of allegiance to Jesus, I think, bubbled up out of this heart of love and real passion for Jesus. This deep connection, this devotion that he had to Jesus, that he believed his devotion to Jesus was stronger than anybody else's. And that his devotion to Jesus was greater than his devotion to anything else. So I think this is a genuine, in his heart of hearts, he really believes, I will not deny you. But it turns out to be yet another false start. He proclaims faithfulness to Jesus out of love and devotion to Christ. But Jesus' response reveals that love and devotion out of our human flesh are simply not enough. Human flesh must be synced with spirit in order to withstand trials. We love to say love is enough, love is everything, but love is not enough. Human love is not enough. It must be matched with the divine love, love from the spirit, in order to withstand trials. We all like to think of ourselves as the faithful one, The one who's able to endure, the strong one. The one who doesn't give up easily, can withstand the pressure. We all like to think of ourselves this way, as Peter does. No, not me. I won't give up. Not me. I can handle it. That's why competitions like Survivor, The Amazing Race, even the Olympics, and even presidential elections have anybody to compete in them at all. (laughs) Because there's at least a group of people who think that they are the strong one, the one who is able to stand up under the pressure, the one who is able to fight and to win. But weakness is the stuff that our fleshly bodies are made of. And we sure don't like it. Adults bemoan the pain of aging, and children hate that they get tired and have to stop playing and take a nap. We don't like weakness in our bodies, but God says this is part of how his glory is revealed. There's also weakness in our spirits. Weakness in our ability to withstand the pressure, the temptation, and the trial. We think we're strong, but we're actually quite weak. But when we give our weakness to God, he demonstrates his perfect power in us. He enables us to do things that we never thought were possible. Gives us spiritual strength. He helps us pray through the long, hard nights. 
When we put our weakness to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit, we become stronger than we ever were before. When not relying on our human strength, but on the strength of the Spirit alive in us. When we surrender ourselves to the work of God in us, He matches strength to weakness. He gives us that strength that we need for our weakness. When we admit our sins and our false starts, He covers them with grace. Today we're learning that God gives grace for false starts. When we allow the Holy Spirit to control our lives, he produces good fruit in us. We'll continue to see all of these truths uh, play out in the life of Peter. Would you keep following along with me? So Jesus is foretelling to Peter that we just read falls on the heels of the institution of the communion meal. So Jesus has just held up a cup and said, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. He has just broken bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And Peter has taken in these elements. So he has entered into this covenant with Jesus. The cup, the blood, what does it represent? But suffering. And so Peter has entered into this agreement where he has said, I will suffer with you because I am drinking your blood. It's not just Jesus died and so I'm good, my life is perfect, I have no problems anymore. When you drink that blood, this is an agreement that I will suffer alongside and with Christ for the sake of the gospel or for the work that he wants to do in me. So Peter has agreed to this and he believes he can handle it, but he has no idea the weight of the fear, the anguish, and the isolation that he will face. Jump to the next scene. You can look in your Bibles, Mark 14, verses 32 to 42. Let your eyes flow over those verses. So after the meal in the next scene, the disciples follow Jesus into the garden for a nighttime prayer session. And Jesus asks his disciples to pray with him, and he is under great distress. But his enthusiastic friends lose the luster of their eyes in the late night of the garden. They can't manage to keep their eyes open or their bodies off the ground. And Jesus comes specifically to Peter. Look at Mark 14, verse 37. Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? I just told you that you were about to betray me. This was the perfect opportunity for you to watch and pray, for you to find strength from the Spirit. The key lesson comes from Jesus in verse 38. Do you see it there? It says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So apparently it was a possibility. Peter had the option of not going through this circumstance. Jesus says, watch and pray so that you might not enter into temptation. But instead of watching and praying, Peter had this weakness in his body and in his spirit. And he was tired. And he slept. And he missed that opportunity in prayer to prepare for the trial that was ahead of him. So by the time the trial comes, he's weak. What had Jesus been doing all that time? Jesus was praying. Did the trials come to Jesus? Yes, they did. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus was calm. 
Jesus didn't curse anyone. Jesus remained true to who he was. And Jesus spoke the truth. It was those hours of prayer connecting with the Spirit that made Jesus strong for the trials ahead. While Peter missed that opportunity to be strong and later would fall to the trial. Verse 66 of Mark 14 is the next section. As Jesus faces arrest and sham trials, Peter follows at a distance into the high priest's home. A servant girl of the high priest says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus, which is a derogatory thing to say. It's like, you little small town nothing person. And Peter denies it. What happens? The rooster crows. Did he hear it? I don't know. Did he pay attention? Did he realize what was happening? Did he remember what Jesus said? Or he's just so stressed out, he's trying to defend himself. Then she tells other people about it. Peter denies a second time. And then others say, certainly you're one of them. You're a Galilean. And then he invokes a curse and begins to swear. And then what happens? The rooster crows the second time. When that rooster crows, the words of Jesus come flushing back into Peter's mind. And he realizes how he has let down his friend that he was weak when he thought he was strong, and he breaks down and weeps. Peter, the bold, the strong, breaks down and weeps. Hours after Jesus had broken bread, Peter breaks down. Just as Jesus is about to go to the cross and have his body broken, Peter breaks down. So Peter and Jesus are both at their breaking point. Jesus faces trial in the courtyard above. Peter faces trial below. Jesus speaks truthfully. Peter spits out lies. Jesus gives up his life. Peter tries to save his life. Peter must learn through suffering the way of testing that the broken spirit is the one that God does not despise. That he accepts that sorrow. So why did Peter break down? He remembered what Jesus had said and he realized his own sin. And his brokenness led to repentance. There's a difference between Peter's reaction and Judas' reaction. Because Judas tries to give back the money and says, I changed my mind. But it's not a repentance of the heart. Peter's repentance is in his heart He realizes he let his friend down and he is so sorrowful. My favorite part about this story, though, comes in John 21, verses 15 to 17. Would you look there with me? John 21, verses 15 to 17. So this is after the death of Jesus and after the resurrection. But Peter has basically given up. He's just a failure. He didn't keep his oath. He buckled under pressure. He slept when he should have prayed. He lied when he should have spoken the truth. He cursed when he should have blessed. The person and the movement in which he put all his hope have come crashing down. Everything seems a loss. That's where we are, right? On the beach. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Said to him, feed my lambs. Said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him, how many times? 
the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the restoration of Peter. Jesus gives Peter an opportunity to confirm his repentance, to show that his brokenness led to repentance. And this is where we see Jesus having grace for Peter, giving grace for his false start. So just as Peter denied Jesus three times, so Jesus restores Peter three times. He showed Peter that pure human love was not enough to overcome the trial. But soon Pentecost will come, and Peter will be enlivened with the Holy Spirit. So mere human love was not enough to overcome the fear of trial, but the perfect love of God will cast out fear in Peter. We have all experienced false starts. And Peter himself had his fair share. Our last verse comes from 1 Peter First Peter, this is where Peter reflects on what happens to him in his experience. First Peter chapter 5. I love this verse, y'all. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is Peter's testimony in a nutshell. (laughs) He suffered, he fell, he had false starts. But God himself, the God of grace, had grace for his false start. And Jesus himself restored Peter. He confirmed him, he strengthened him, and established him in the Holy Spirit. If we think that one false start is enough, it certainly is not. There will be many opportunities to learn to begin again. So I told you that in our trip to Seattle, we had a few interesting false starts. So unfortunately, there was another one. At the close of our Seattle trip, all exhausted and filled with Seattle caffeine and memories of new experiences mixing in our bodies, Hezzy and I settled into our flight and we're just tired, we're relaxed and we're ready to go. Our chair tables are up, our our chairs are in the upright position, our seatbelts are fastened, we are ready for takeoff. So we go speeding down the jetway, and we start to take off, and then all of a sudden, pump, pump of the brakes, and we come back to the ground, and we slide. (laughs) I have never experienced anything like that before. We literally took off and came back down in about a second. I immediately think there's something wrong with the left phalange, and (laughs) thank you for those of you who got that. Um, The captain comes on the speaker and says that the takeoff has been discontinued, whatever that means. Um, So we circle around the jetway, and then he tells us that there was a problem with flight control. Nearly an hour later, we take off for the second time. Another false start. Why did one trip see not one but two false starts, a boat going in circles, and an airplane that can't take off? 
These false starts were certainly reminders that we depend on God moment by moment for his grace, for his provision and protection. False starts serve to humble us and draw us deeper into the grace of God. These are reminders that when we have spoken a commitment we couldn't keep, when we have denied Jesus with our words or behavior, when we tried to act out of pure human mustered-up affection rather than divine love, we must break. We have to break down our pride, break down in sorrow for sin, take a posture of repentance like Peter, and then welcome the lavish grace of Christ to restore us as his own. Each one of us today is invited to partake in that cup of suffering, the blood of Jesus, and to eat of his flesh, which is broken for our sins. The heart that is most ready to receive these elements is the broken one. And like Peter, we must come to terms with our sin and be broken over it. When we admit our false starts and come to that breaking point, Jesus reaches out and offers restoration. Today we have learned that God gives grace for false starts. May it be true for each of us. May these elements be symbols of the grace of God filling you again with his spirit and his restoration.